This time on Geek Pod Blue. Wanna go for a ride? Warning, station is now code blue. I am your host, Hugh, and I am not amused, which is why we are going to talk about amusement park rides today, and not just any old rides. We're not going to talk about roller coasters, we're not going to talk about merry-go-rounds, or those crazy things where you're upside down, your legs are dangling, and people have heart attacks on them. Uh, We are specifically going to talk about something called the Dark Ride. Now, I want to give you a little bit of history on this. Because I'm sure you've all seen dark rides. Uh, dark rides are basically uh, rides where you get into a little car, you know, a kind of like a mini roller coaster car. Usually they're on rails, but not necessarily. And you go through a building, and there are you know set up stunts all around, usually lit with black lights or things like that. And uh, they're meant to kind of scare people. Now the original dark rides they used. Uh, things like uh, metal hammers and such and levers that were in the track which would set things off like maybe a hammer hitting a symbol or uh, a devil head popping up or something like that those were called stunts and they were very low tech and they were very very popular uh, in the early part of the 19th century uh, i'm sorry the 20th century uh, they were developed in the late 19th century now uh, you don't, you don't see things like that today. Generally, they're all electronic with soundtracks and lasers and stuff like that. If you've ever gone to, the, the for instance, the New York State Fair, uh, they have one right there. It's uh, this big zombie-themed one that they've had for the past few years. And, yeah, you're basically getting a, get in a car and you ride around a room. Now, these came from something called a pretzel ride. Now, dark rides are basically guided vehicles with lit scenes and sound effects and, and all sorts of stunts. Now, they, they first appeared, like I said, in the late 19th century, and they were traditionally things like the Tunnel of Love, you know, where, you know, you'd have a, a, two lovebirds get in a little boat, they'd be going through this dark tunnel in the water, and occasionally there'd be something to pop up to kind of, uh, well, prevent them from going a little too far and to get everybody scared. Uh, those eventually um, evolved into uh, slightly more elaborate situations. There would be buildings that were uh, painted all dark on the inside so no sunlight could get in. And uh, the term pretzel ride actually stems from a feeling that people got when they were on these rides because they would they would basically twist and turn inside these buildings to make the most of the space because you'd have a small building. So you'd have opaque walls between each stunt so you know you couldn't see one stunt going off from another room. And it, basically they would use this space uh, very, very effectively to get, you know, upwards of 20, sometimes more stunts into a very small place before the ride would exit the other side. Now, uh, this term pretzel was, like I said, coined uh, by a rider who said they felt that the ride twisted them up like a pretzel. And Leon Cassidy of the Pretzel Amusement Ride Company out of New Jersey patented the first electric single rail dark ride in 1928. Now, what they did is they put a large a heavy metal pretzel on the front to very make them very distinguished. And that was actually to prevent the cart from uh, flipping backwards. You know, they didn't want anybody to get hurt. And the pretzel company pretty much is the one that people think about when they think about dark rides. Uh, they they produced, they built and sold 1,400 different rides 
uh, all over the, the country and in some cases all over the world. And these are located in other countries in the UK and Australia. They're called ghost trains, which also makes a lot of sense. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever been on a dark ride, but it is kind of a slice of nostalgia. By today's standards, they aren't scary. Even by the 80s standards, they weren't scary, which is why in the 80s, a lot of these things were torn down. They were bulldozed. Uh, there's not a whole lot of them left. Now, there, there is a resurgence in the popularity of dark rides, but a lot of them use up-to-date special effects and things like that, kind of the same things they'll use in haunted houses to scare people. While well, I, I don't, I'm not saying that I think that's a bad thing, uh, when we lose a piece of history, we do lose a bit of the charm. And luckily, there is still an original dark ride, and it's actually operating right here in central New York. Now, hold on to your hats, guys. The next time you, you want to take a trip and go check something out, I urge you to check this out. Uh, down in Sylvan Beach, which is kind of located on the way to Utica, Rome area, between Syracuse and Rome, basically, uh, there's a, a little amusement strip. Now, there, nothing there is insane or crazy. It, it's not like going to Six Flags or Darien Lake. Um, they've got, you know, some games. They've got skee-ball, arcade games. They've got carousels, a scrambler, uh, a, a, a roller coaster, which is one of those self-contained ones, kind of like the ones you see at the, the State Fair. It's very small. So, I mean, I don't like high rides, and even I like that roller coaster. Not that I can fit in the cars anymore. Uh, but, but it's a really nice place to take young kids because they actually have a, a young kid section where it's all little rides. It's all fenced in. You don't have to worry about your kids running off or anything. It, it's nice for a family day at the beach if your kids are not that sophisticated or aren't thrill seekers yet. And at the very end of the boardwalk where the amusement park ends is something called Laughland. Now, I remember Laughland from as a kid. You know, I would go through there, and I thought it was it was the scariest thing ever. Uh, it's big clowns up on the top of the building, and it's been in operation since 1954. And the original owner sold it to the current owner now, and both of them meticulously took care of this. They go through, they refurbish all of the stunts, uh, which are pretty much, this entire thing is original except for like three parts. Now, uh, the old owner did add a... Uh, the front of a, a classic, I think it was a classic Chevy, uh, with headlights and a horn that blares when you go around a corner. Uh, that was the only addition and major change to it. And they do go through every two or three years and replace the clothing on the, the demons and the witches and things like that. Because clothing degrades over time. What sets this apart, though, is, first of all, a lot of dark rides weren't very well maintained. They, you'd go in them and you would have bits of sunlight leaking in through cracks and everything. They made sure that this is completely dark. This thing is dark like dark, like going out to my parents' house, you know, upstate dark at night. Uh, it also has that, that musty smell, kind of like a, an old book at a library. Uh, the second you go in this thing, it's almost like it transports you to a different place. Uh, now, maybe that's different because, you know, as a child, I remember it. But I think just about anybody would be a little unnerved, but also very curious by this. Now, the stunts in this thing, they're not amazing. I mean, they're, they're the standard, you know, hammer hitting a cymbal, uh, a skeleton, things like that. None of them are going to compare to, you know, the cinematic horror that we have now. But it's not really meant to. You know, it's great for little kids. It's great for adults because you can, it's something you can share with your little kids. And if they like it as a little kid, they'll like it as an older kid. You know, one of those things, yeah, I know it's not great. Kind of like, you know, I look at it kind of like this. As a child, I loved TV dinners and Salisbury steak. As an adult, I know Salisbury steak is crap food, but you know what? Sometimes I really enjoy eating it because I have a love for Salisbury steak. It's not good. It's not good for me, but every once in a while, you just have to go there. Uh, now, going back to Laughland, uh, it's 
What's amazing about this is it's probably the best preserved dark ride in the country and the purest uh, by far because it's only it only had three pieces replaced, like actually replaced that aren't original. And this thing has been running forever. It's actually becoming kind of world famous because there have been uh, people who've traveled from Australia, from England, from Canada, all just to ride Laughland. I mean, it's kind of that big of a deal in certain circles, of course. Uh, not everybody is you know, chomping at the bit to go ride this little crappy amusement park ride in uh, Sylvan Beach, but I certainly would be in line for that. Now, if you guys have never seen this, because, I mean, Sylvan Beach is, is a place a lot of people have gone, and it's also a place a lot of people forget about because it doesn't have the the bombastic thrills and the, the bright lights of some of the other amusement parks. So we, we tend to kind of forget that this nice little quiet, calm gem uh, of, of fun and happiness exists in central New York. Uh, if you haven't been there, go check it out. I mean, Laughland is not going to uh, change your your mind or your life, but it certainly will give you a little slice of history. Uh, let you see, you know, what things were like before we had all of these giant cinematic horror movies and horror rides and all of this stuff. Back when the most complicated thing they could come up with was a lever uh, on, on a rail track, which triggered a hammer hitting a cymbal. And at some point in, like, 1903, that somebody shit their pants on one of these things. I'm sure they did. That was scary back then. And it, it's at least quaint now, and I think we can all use a history lesson every once in a while. So I urge you, if you can... Go down to Sylvan Beach, check out this dark ride, and if you have any interest in learning more about these, there's actually a pretty awesome website and resource for all of this uh, that I discovered a few years ago when I wanted to learn more about um, Laughland and find out if there were other places like that. And uh, there is a website. It's called laughinthedark.com. Uh, laugh is actually spelled L-A-F-F. -F. So L-A-F-F-inthedark.com. Uh, not only are there a, a plethora of articles uh, on all sorts of things related to the amusement parks and dark rides. Uh, there's also a pretty comprehensive listing of all of them that have ever existed, including the ones that are still uh, running and where they are and how you can get to them. So if this piques your interest, please go check out Laugh in the Dark. I don't think you're going to be disappointed. And that's going to cover our lead feature for this week. Uh, I think it's time to talk about some news, especially considering we just came out of New York City Comic Con. <laughs> And what a weekend it was. Tons of stuff came out of New York City Comic Con. I know we had some friends there. Jeff Watkins was there. Um, Josh was there. I, you know, if, if you have the chance to go to a Comic Con, like a big one, like San Diego or New York, uh, I can imagine it's a life-changing experience. At least that's what uh, our friend uh, Aaron from uh, Cloud City Comics uh, and Toys said. I was going to say, you know, in the Shopping Town Mall, but that's part of the news this week. Cloud City is moving to Armory Square. They're going to be open at the Shopping Town Mall uh, location for a few more weeks uh, with some fantastic sales. And if there's anything you've been wanting to pick up, especially like back issues and stuff like that, you need to go check this out because it's clear that they do not want to move all of this crap to the new location. Uh, but they will be moving down to Armory Square right above Funkin' Waffles, the uh, the neon superhero signs are already in the windows, and they are putting that place together, and I can't wait to check that out. Uh, certainly a, a great location, especially if you work downtown. Uh, you can now go and check out the comic store you know, on your lunch, so there's no excuse if you're a working professional not to be picking up your comic books on a weekly basis. And no, Jeff Watkins did not pay me to say that. Uh, going into the news that came out of New York City Comic Con, uh, well, the thing that had me the most excited was 
uh, John Constantine is returning to TV, and not just in CW Seeds uh, animated series. Matt Ryan will be reprising the role this year on Legends of Tomorrow. The third season of Legends of Tomorrow is reportedly going to be dealing with uh, more supernatural elements, so it certainly seems like he is the right person to call in and join the team. Now, we don't know how extensive this is going to be. Uh, They really didn't give any details as to if he was going to be on all season, if it was going to be a single episode like it was when he uh, guested on Arrow. Uh, We're certainly going to have to to wait and see. I'm sure we'll get some news on this down the road. Uh, But it was just nice to see even this far after uh, Constantine, the TV show being canceled, uh, the fans clearly want more. They want more Constantine, and CW is going to slake that thirst for you. Uh, Next up, Black Panther is getting his own Lego movie. Now, this one kind of surprised me. Um, Not because I don't think it's a good idea, but because I guess we shouldn't be surprised that really Batman's the only one that gets his own Lego movies. Because if you look at DC's animated slate, you know, even the stuff that doesn't have Batman in it, they put Batman in it just because they have a feeling that only Batman sells animated films. Uh, I think it's kind of cool that Black Panther is going to be getting his own Lego film, and you can't have Batman in this. Well, you know, actually, maybe you could. They cross over franchises in Lego all the time. I hope they don't. I think they should let uh, Black Panther be its own thing. Uh, it certainly is. It's sad that it's taken this long for us to get to the point where Black Panther is a big deal. And with the cinematic movie coming out, I believe, next year, it certainly is time to start uh, drumming up the anticipation for the Black Panther film. And what better way to do that than by getting the kids into it. And Lego is certainly a great gateway for introducing children to superheroes. Maybe their parents didn't introduce them to. Maybe they haven't really run into except for maybe a guest appearance in Civil War or something like that. Uh, Next up, the first reactions from Thor Ragnarok are in, and they are pretty much overwhelmingly positive. Uh, Now, they can't really talk about it yet because there's an embargo until later in the month, uh, closer to when the movie actually premieres. Uh, A lot of people said it's a lot of fun. They did say that it's the best Thor movie, first of all, and that it's not necessarily the best movie that Marvel has made, but it might be one of the funnest. And and it sounds to me like maybe this is... uh, Maybe a more, you know, lightweight movie, really uh, intended to entertain. I mean, especially if you're going to throw a Thor and Hulk into, like, a buddy cop-style movie. Uh, It's certainly going to have a lot of laughs. And I I will forgive them if this isn't the most hard-hitting, edgy, serious uh, piece of film work that Marvel Studios has ever put out. I think a movie like this just really needs to be fun. We could all use a little more fun in our lives, don't you think? Next up... Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead are going to have a crossover. This was confirmed by Robert Kirkman himself, and this really took me by surprise because for years they've said that it's not going to happen. It's also the, uh, or at least that it was not in the cards anytime soon. You also have to think about the fact that Fear the Walking Dead is only a little more than a month after the the apocalypse happened, when whereas uh, The Walking Dead is years later. I mean, where The Walking Dead is now is years beyond where Fear the Walking Dead is. That certainly makes things a logistical nightmare. Now, they did say, we're not going to tell you, you know, which character from which show is going to cross over to another show, or if you're going to see a past version of a character or a future version of a character. Uh, They're not really giving us any details at all right now, uh, which pretty much lines up with Kirkman's MO in just about everything. I think there are a few things that we can consider, though, and I'm kind of hoping you know somebody out there will put together a list because I was thinking about this, and I'm sure that there's a comprehensive list of who could potentially cross over and who couldn't. Uh, given the timelines that these these shows are in, I, I'm going to go out on a whim and I'm going to say uh, 
first of all, I think that it's going to have to be a Walking Dead character showing up as an earlier version of themselves in Fear the Walking Dead. For the simple fact that if a character from Fear the Walking Dead, like let's say Madison, shows up on Walking Dead, all of the suspense for her character is taken out now because you know nothing happens to her for years. You know, it just doesn't make sense. Uh, And if they did it with like a a bit character they introduce one week and then shows up on Walking Dead the next week again, then that's not even really a crossover. That's just dumb. Uh, What makes the most sense is having a character from The Walking Dead having been in that area. Now, I was thinking about this, and who could that have possibly be? I mean, uh, Abraham or Rosita, absolutely. You know, I mean, he was was in the military, and they certainly could have been down there at that point. We know they traveled around the country. They found Eugene, uh, eventually made their way to the East Coast. So, uh, my money is on uh, Abraham. I, I think that's probably the, the best bet because I don't think we know a whole lot about him prior to him uh, finding Eugene. I, at least we don't know specifically where he was. It's not like, I mean, you can't have Lori or Shane or Herschel or Rick or any or any of those show up because we know where they were during that time frame. So it can't be any of the original cast. You know, the, the people that premiered within the first season it can't be Glenn, can't be Maggie. We know where those guys were. Or at least we know where they were once Rick woke up, which was about a month after the apocalypse happened. Um, nobody without you know mass transit and airplanes and shit are getting across from one side of the country, and I can from Mexico to the East Coast um, that quickly without airplanes and stuff. So uh, I'm gonna have to say it's gonna have to be a character that was introduced later on, and I, my money's on Abraham right now. Uh, moving on from that, Batman the Animated Series is coming to Blu-ray in 2018. It is about time because we need to show a whole new generation exactly what good quality superhero animated TV shows can be. It's not to say there aren't some shows out there that are doing a good job, but I, I do feel like uh, nothing has the magic that uh, BTAS did. Of course, we all feel like that, especially Jack. Uh, but, you know, it's it's funny that it hasn't been released on Blu-ray because it is kind of like the seminal work. It is the still considered the best animated superhero show of all time. It might always be that. And the fact that it's not out on Blu-ray yet kind of boggled the mind. I didn't know that. I had no idea they had not released it yet. Uh, next up, The X-Files is getting ready to premiere its season 11. They're about halfway through filming the, sh- the show. Uh, they showed a great uh, trailer at Comic-Con this weekend. And Gillian Anderson confirmed that this is going to be her final season. She is done with The X-Files after season 11. Uh, apparently, she said the reason she came back is she felt that they didn't really totally deliver on what they promised uh, with season 10. And that was partly because it was short. They didn't know if it was going to work. They, they've got a lot more leeway now since it was successful to do what they wanted to. And she wanted to come back and kind of close the story on um, her character, Dana Scully, from The X-Files. I, I do think that it's it's interesting that in a series that can go off the air and come back every couple years and do six or ten episodes or whatever the actors are available for, uh, I find it odd that she's she wants to slam the door shut. Uh, only because, yeah, she's she's you know had a bit of a resurgence. You know, she has a few film roles. She was in Hannibal. I mean, she she's doing well for herself as an actress. But you never know when you want to might want to come back or when you might need to come back. I, I guess I just don't see the point since there's no guaranteed X Files season twelve. If season eleven is a hit and Chris Carter says I want to do season twelve, she can be like, well, I'm going to be doing busy doing stuff I want to do for the next four years. Okay, we'll see you in four years. I'll get writing some stories. It's not like doing. Uh, 
a TV show or a season of a TV show every single year. They have a lot of freedom there. So, again, it almost makes me wonder if um, she's sick of the character or doesn't like working with those people. Because, I don't know, it just seems kind of, kind of odd that you would say, I'm done with something that is so freeform and can work around your schedule. I don't know, something about that strikes me as odd. Uh, I do know, in contrast to that, Chris Carter said this weekend that he thinks there's there's still a lot of life left in this series. He also said he feels the same way about Millennium. So, who knows, maybe he's finally kicking around that idea and say, thinking, you know what, maybe we better uh, bring Millennium back uh, before Lance Henriksen dies, because he's getting up there in age, and it's not like you can replace Frank Black. Uh, and finally, this isn't really a news story, but it's kind of like a, think of it as a public service announcement. Uh, I wanted to, to let everybody know that I have watched, I am caught up on Inhumans now. And Inhumans has gotten a ton of negative press, and I completely understand why, because Inhumans should have been something bigger. It should have been something better. It could have been something royal, like the royal family of Adelan. But I gotta say, as somebody who is not invested in the characters comic book-wise, I, I just don't care. Uh... I watched the uh, the first, well the premiere and the second episodes the first three episodes this weekend, and uh, it's not bad. It's not horrible. Uh, it's not the best superhero TV show I've seen. I, I'm interested in the characters. Uh, I I think the special effects on Lockjaw look great. You know, giant bulldog teleporting alien bulldog. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. I I think if you go into it without expecting um, something, you know, you've read in the comic books, uh, it's not a bad Marvel TV show. I. Is it as good as, as Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Um, not really, but Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has had some bad seasons as well. So uh, I, I think it's a good thing that this probably isn't a repeatable season type thing they're looking at doing. I mean, they're going to do this this one run of episodes, and I think these could be interesting characters that could interact with uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. team, since Inhumans are such a big part of their show. Uh, it's an interesting addition to that universe, uh, but it doesn't suck. I think that the reviewers have been a lot harsher on it than it deserved. I mean, yeah, some of the special effects weren't great. Um, I think the acting is fine. I have no issue with it, especially the guy that plays Black Bolt, considering he can't talk. Uh, certainly emotes fairly well uh, using his eyes and sign language. I, I was pretty impressed by that. Uh, it's not a horrible show, though. I mean, the writing's okay. I mean, again, it's okay. You know, it's not one of those shows you're going to watch it and go, oh, this is the worst thing I've watched. You're definitely not going to say it's the best thing I've watched, but hey, if there's nothing else Marvel-related on right now, so why don't you give it a shot, at least on network TV. But hey, that's just my opinion. Your mileage may vary. That sound means it is time for the Geek Pond Blue mailbox, and we are almost to the end of the show. The first letter this week is from Mike Fitzgerald, and Mike says, Are you going to see the new Star Wars movie in December? Uh, Mike, I think I am. I've missed out on a couple movies this year uh, because there weren't Cloud City premieres, and that's generally the only time I can uh, actually have the money and the time to go see one of those. Uh, you know, I certainly missed out on uh, Spider-Man Homecoming until it hit... Uh, DVD and such, and you know, it kind of bummed me out. I don't think I can miss Star Wars. Star Wars is too big of a deal, so that might just have to be my Christmas present if we're strapped for cash. Uh, next, he says, I hear it's got the lead from Corvette Summer in it. I'm guessing this is a reference that I'd... Oh, I think you might be talking about Spaceballs, huh? Not sure if Annie Potts is in it or not. The lifesaver fight looks cool. <laughs> it's got a battle beyond the stars feel to it. 
One shot in the trailer has a Bigfoot with a Furby inside a UFO. More later. <laughs> okay, that, that's some funny stuff right there. Uh, thank you very much for writing in. I really needed a laugh today. Uh, next message we have is... Uh, oh... We have an email from Michael Blah. Now, I really thought that Nick Mormon had scared him off, but let's take a look and see what Michael has to say. Greetings, Blue Man. I don't know. I kind of like that. I don't know if it was intended as an insult, but I can live with it. Been away for a bit, but looking forward to our weekly interactions again. Well, I guess that means we're going to keep going with this then. First of all, the last episode was far and away the best yet. Interview was outstanding, the film sounds awesome, and best of all, no no correspondence from Camcorder Nicholas. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you enjoyed that, Michael. So, on to some of my thoughts. The SRC Con was pretty awesome, right? Yes, I was there. No, I didn't announce myself, but I did get interviewed. Really? And then he says, yes, for the Webcam Nick show. And he has never even realized. Chew on that, Nicholas. Well, Nick, uh, I think you're going to have to comment on this next week. Uh, Apparently, you may have interviewed Michael Blah and you don't even know it. I can imagine uh, Nick going through all of his footage trying to figure out who that was. Uh, That is fascinating. You know, my money is it's on the guy who was wearing the Sailor Moon costume. I think that was it. Uh, Finally, uh, we have a letter from Nick. Nick says, Been hella busy working on cosplay, YouTube, and such. First question, do you think Marvel Comics are trying too hard to diversify the comics with a black Spanish Spider-Man and a black female Iron Man and female Thor? Uh, Well, Nick, interestingly enough, I'm surprised this uh, question comes from you being a black man. I think that uh, minorities have been uh, very underrepresented in comic books uh, and comic book media for a very, very long time. Uh, As you yourself have pointed out, uh, even the early representations like Luke Cage were were basically ridiculously racist. And uh, these people that we think of, these comic book creators that were open-minded and were looking for a... uh, trying to build a, a world where everybody was equal, certainly had some pretty strange ideas on how to do that. Now, uh, do I think that they're trying too hard? Absolutely not. I mean, first of all, Miles Morales was a milestone character, pun intended. Uh, My- Miles, uh, for those who don't know, uh, there used to be uh, an ultimate universe. About Back in the 90s, Marvel decided that they wanted to kind of reboot the Marvel universe and kind of tell all of those stories all over again as if they'd they started writing comics now. So basically starting, you know, in the, the 90s, you know, 2000 era. Uh, the idea was that while we love our, our comic books, you know, all of those origin stories come from a golden age and there's so much history. I mean, we're always going to have the Peter Parker that we have. They're not ever actually going to reboot it. Uh, but this was kind of a retelling with modern sensibilities. And it wasn't just a, you know, Ultimate Spider-Man. There was Ultimate Fantastic Four, Ultimate Avengers. I mean, they did the whole thing. And... The Ultimate Universe uh, eventually kind of, you know, disappeared, and uh, that universe of Spider-Man was pulled over into ours. Now, originally there was a Peter Parker there, uh, but he died in his final confrontation with the uh, Green Goblin. Now, Miles was an, another guy that was bitten by one of the same radioactive spiders. Not the exact, exact same, but one from one of the batches that gave Peter his powers. Uh, when he discovered that he had those powers... Uh, he looked to uh, Peter Parker because, I mean, everybody knew that Peter Parker was Spider-Man at that point. At the end, you know, he was unmasked and fighting a Green Goblin. And he looked to him as an inspiration as to what he could do uh, with these powers he was given. And it, it wasn't forced. Uh, they didn't have to worry about, 
a huge backlash because it was in an alternate universe kind of thing. And then um, that version of Ultimate Spider-Man became freaking awesome. I mean, amazingly awesome. So awesome that when they destroyed the Ultimate Universe, they brought Miles Morales over to this one. And no, I think that this is a completely different Spider-Man that deals with different issues. He doesn't have exactly the same powers, and that is certainly not trying too hard to diversify. I mean, that, that was a stroke of genius and probably something they weren't sure that was going to work that did. Um, black female Iron Man... We'll have to see how long she sticks around. I don't have any issue with that. And the character of Riri Williams is certainly uh, fascinating. But I have a feeling that unlike Ultimate Spider-Man, she might take a back burner when uh, Tony Stark returns uh, as Shellhead at some point in the future. And you know that's going to happen. Uh, as for female Thor, again, it seems like this character has a, a expiration date on it to begin with. I would like to think there's room in comics, the comics universe for both a male and female Thor. Uh, do, again, are they trying too hard to diversify? No, because they're still telling stories with Odinson. You know, the actual original Thor is still has comic books. You know, he's just no longer worthy of the mantle of Thor. It's an interesting journey for him, and it's an interesting journey for Jane Foster. You know, it's it's storytelling. We don't need to have the same stuff all the time. Next question: What's your opinion on Civil War Two? Was it worth it? I this is going back a little bit. Um, I'm trying to remember what the plot of Civil War Two was because you know uh, they have so many of these big events. Uh, I, I wonder if you might be thinking about uh, the most uh, recent one, uh, the whole, uh, not, is it Secret Empire? No, the the evil, yeah, Hydra Cap thing. I mean, Civil War II, I, I don't recall being angry at it uh, when it started. Uh, that was the one where Rhodey died. Yeah, I think Rhodey died in that. I thought that was kind of unnecessary. I, I felt like, you know, if you're going to have, again, talking about diversification, if you're going to have... Um, you know, black superheroes now. Uh, certainly, War Machine was one of the ones that could lead the pack, and I, I, I didn't like the fact that they killed him right off. Uh, but no, I, you know, honestly, Civil War one and two kind of mashed together to me, so I don't recall it being bad and not liking it. Uh, it's, it's like any big event. You know, it's a big deal. You read all the issues, and then you kind of forget that it ever happened because everything goes back to normal afterwards. I can usually only remember the most recent event. And lastly, what did you think of the Star Wars trailer? That was pretty awesome, Nick. I have to say, uh, I was kind of blown away by that. I certainly think they did a good job, and I don't know who's going to land on what side. Uh, it certainly looks like Rey might go to the dark side. There's rumors that uh, Luke might too. Who knows if the dark side is really the dark side. Maybe they're going to flip everything on its head and take it all in a different direction. What I can tell you is it got me excited enough to say, yes, I'm going to have to go see this movie in December, as uh, Mike Fitzgerald asked. Uh, I want to thank all three of you guys for writing in this week. I hope to hear from you next week. Uh, I did notice that nobody bothered uh, talking about what they would do to get some of these movies we've got to uh, give away. So I'm going to keep these movies on the sidelines. we got to come up with a contest. I was thinking about seeing if you guys could guess how many pins are on my pinhead statue, but then that would means I would have to take pictures and you just count them, and that wouldn't be fun. So come on, send me some ideas for this contest. I've got a couple ideas of my own, but I want to see what you guys think first before I actually make this official. Uh, finally, before we end this week, uh, there's been a lot of stuff in the news this week. There's the uh, the Harvey Weinstein scandal, which, you know, is an awful, awful thing. And I just wanted to remind everybody out there, you know, it, 
you know, sexual harassment and such, it's a very serious thing. I mean, I, I came up in the, uh, the restaurant world, so, I mean, I don't think that, uh, I mean, every other sentence out of everybody's mouths was sexual harassment, and from both the, the guys and the girls, it went both ways. It went every single way you can imagine. Uh, so it's certainly a different world now than it was then. Uh, it's, it's something you have to be cognizant of. So in case you guys aren't sure, I just wanted to let you know, if you are making advances towards somebody and those advances are unwanted, that's harassment. If you are using a position of power or authority or celebrity to pressure somebody into some kind of a relationship, that is also harassment. And lastly, and maybe most importantly, if you get white girl wasted and chase an attractive girl around a bar saying that you want to have babies with her because they'd be cute, that is most definitely harassment. You're going to ruin your lives and the lives of your victims. Please watch what you're doing. And that's going to wrap things up for this week. Make sure you tune in next week when we will rank the cast of Walking Dead based only on the size of their toenail clippings. Until then, tuck and roll, kids. GeekPod Blue is a GeekPod Network production. Executive producers Paul Showens and Hugh Allen. Concept created by Paul Showens and Hugh Allen. Intro is Opportunity by Jameis Breed. Closing is Bucket by Jameis Breed. Both licensed for use by Dennis Johnston. Want to help the show? Leave a five-star rating on iTunes. GeekPod can be reached at contribute at geekpod.com or send us a tweet at geekpod. That's G33KPOD. You can also find GeekPod on Facebook and Instagram. G33KPOD. That's G33KPOD.